Good evening, everyone. I'm Mark, and hopefully, hopefully you're having a great day, great Sunday, and uh, hopefully you've been able to dig into the book of Galatians um, a little bit as we are going through it this summer. Last week, Eric did a great job of giving us an intro to Galatians and talking about uh, what it is. It's a letter to the church in Galatia, and it was written by a guy named Paul, and uh, he was writing them because he was very concerned about what was going on with the uh, gospel presentation. And really, as I had been reading Galatians and, and really in the first part of this letter, uh, one word kept coming up uh, in my mind. It actually wasn't said in the scripture, but it kept on uh, coming up, and that word was supplement. And supplement is this, this idea uh, that we're, we're all familiar with in lots of different ways, uh, like supplements, right? Like uh, uh, vitamin supplements. Probably all of us at one time or another have taken some sort of vitamin supplement. Uh, in fact, you know, when you're driving around, I think you'd be hard-pressed to drive anywhere and listen to the radio and not hear some sort of supplement commercial. Uh, there's the, uh, the male supplement commercials that we hear all the time. There's uh, also supplements about, like, uh, uh, upping your hormones and, like, reducing your belly fat. And that's like a buzzword on the radio lately is belly fat. I just, it's crazy. And, uh, but, you know, we're, we're all familiar with this supplement, but uh, the idea of taking a supplement but I think one thing that culturally we don't do with kind of this acceptance of supplements is ask the question, why? I mean, think about why do you take a supplement? We all know the answer. It's because our diet is lacking something. I mean, it really comes down that we take a supplement because we prefer to eat a cheeseburger than broccoli, right? Just, you know, just to make it really simple. You know, that, that taking a supplement is, is a way of, of supplementing our, our dietary needs and trying to have some sort of healthy um, uh, just kind of existence. But supplements aren't just limited to vitamins and things like that. We also supplement um, things that are less than ideal all the time. I was riding my bicycle uh, yesterday morning, and I was riding up around Lake Miccosukee, and I came along a road sign, like an official, like Leon County road sign. I mean, it was like in the ground, and you know, the yellow signs. I mean, it was official, right? And this sign said, rough pavement. I mean, that's a supplement, right? It's a supplement to what? The lack of smooth pavement. In fact, we have supplemental signs all the time, and it blows me away a lot of times. And I wonder about the guy who makes the signs. Like, if he ever wonders, like, hmm, why don't they just fix this instead of having me make a sign? Like, you know, why don't they just pave the road instead of saying, let's make a sign saying the road is not good? 
Or, you know, there's also signs like, I'm sure you've seen them like, uh, you know, washed out road ahead or something like that. It's like an official sign that that is like, well, why don't you fix the road or or soft shoulder or something? Obviously, this has been a problem, but these signs, they supplement actually fixing the ideal. And, And really what we're coming to here is that people are trying to supplement the gospel. They're trying to do a gospel supplement because they view that the, the gospel is, it lacks something, essentially. So that's basically where we are in the letter, is, is we're going to discover this evening what some people feel the gospel lacks and why the gospel needs a supplement. So if you open up your Bibles to Galatians in chapter 1, and we're going to pick up where Eric left off last week, and that is in verse 6. And... Uh, I want you to really pay attention this evening to the words that Paul uses. And they're, they're very strong words. I mean, it's, it, and it's really conveying that he is very disheartened about what is going on in the church in Galatia. So, verse 6, I am shocked. Not, you know, a little dismayed or a little concerned. No, He's shocked, like, I am shocked that you are turning away so soon from God who called you to himself through the loving mercy of Christ. You are following a different way that pretends to be the good news. Now, what you're going to see throughout this letter is kind of uh, the reference to good news, which is basically the, the translation or the transliteration of gospel. So uh, gospel and good news, it means the exact same thing. You are following a different way that pretends to be the good news, but it is not the good news at all. You are being fooled by those who deliberately twist the truth concerning Christ. So here we have Paul. I mean, he's shocked. He's, he, he is really, you know, upset about somebody who's coming in and twisting the good news, twisting the gospel. Now, before we get into what's happening there, we need to kind of circle back around and, and make sure that we're all on the same page of what the gospel is what the good news is. And I think that Paul does a really good job giving an overview of this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And he opens it up with an introduction in verse 1. He says, let me now remind you, dear brothers and sisters, of the good news I preached to you before. You welcomed it then, and you still stand firm in it. So basically, he preached the good news, he preached the gospel, and the people in the Corinthian church, that they welcomed this gospel that he's about to give us, and they stood firm in it, they adhered to it. It is this good news that saves you if you continue to believe the message I told you, unless, of course, you believe something that was never true in the first place. So we're like, okay, Paul, so what is this good news that you preached? What is the good news that Paul preached? 
Well, he tells us in verse 3, he says, I passed on to you what was most important and what had also been passed on to me. So he's saying, look, I passed on, you know, the, the gospel as it was given to me. So this is a, a direct uh, kind of transference of the good news of the Apostle Paul. And this is what he says. Christ died for our sins, just as the Scripture said. Now, I think a lot of times when we think of Scripture and reference to the Scripture, we think of the 66 Bible, our books of the Old Testament and the New. But there was no New Testament when Paul wrote this. What he is referring to is the Old Testament, the story of Israel. So he's saying, look, Christ died for our sins as foretold in the Scriptures and in the Old Testament. He was buried, he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as Scripture said, the Old Testament. He was seen by Peter and then by the twelve. And then he continues this proclamation of the gospel narrative uh, in verse 21. So you see, just as death came into the world through a man, Adam, now the resurrection from the dead has begun through another man, Christ, Jesus. Just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. Christ was raised at the first of the harvest, then all who belong to Christ will be raised when he comes back. After that, the end will come, when he will turn the kingdom over to God the Father, having destroyed every ruler and authority and power. For Christ must reign until he humbles all his enemies beneath his feet, and the last enemy to be destroyed is death. So there will be no more death. And basically, here last week, um, Eric talked about the, the five acts of Hamlet. Remember that? And basically, this, this is a, a way that I look at the, go, uh, the gospel, and I kind of comprehend it is, is uh, based on Paul's outline of basically the six symbols of the gospel, which I've shared with you before. But I want to make sure that we're crystal clear on what the gospel is. And what the gospel is, is the, is the story of Israel, the Old Testament, informs our understanding of the life of Christ and the death of Christ, the atonement for our sins, and then his resurrection, which commissions the church, which and this is the church age, and this is what Eric was talking about. We are in this now. We are in the church age that, that we are writing uh, this portion of history. And then Christ's second coming completes the church age, and then death is over and we exist in infinite love, which we talked about last series, which completes the story of Israel. And really, this is the good news that, that you know what, God is the creator and sustainer of all things. We just ra uh, sang about this in the Apostles' Creed. And that, just a second, there we go, uh, that we believe um, that, that we, through Adam, we, we inherited this, uh, the legacy of death, of sin. And that 
through Christ coming, the Messiah, that, that we have the opportunity to accept his death on the cross as the atonement, as the, as the, as the uh, supplement, you know, for lack of a better word at this point, uh, for our own death. So we have the opportunity to exist in infinite love forever. And that is the gospel. So obviously there's something that, that, that is not going right, that somehow in the church in Galatia that, that they have gotten away from the gospel that Paul preached. He continues on in, in verse 8, and again, listen to the words. He's clearly very upset about what is going on in Galatia. Let God's curse fall on anyone. There's any ambiguity about if that's a good thing or not. You know, if somebody curses at you or wants God's curse to fall on you, it is not a term of endearment or they are not wishing you a good day. They are upset, right? Let God's curse fall on anyone, including us, or even an angel from heaven who preaches a different kind of good news gospel than the one we preach to you. I say again, just in case you didn't get it, just in case, you know, the people you're writing to didn't get that he was, you know, wanting God's curse to fall on them. He says, look, I'm going to say it again. What I've said before, if anyone preaches any other good news than the one you welcomed, let that person be cursed. But, and, you know, sometimes you think, you know, you know, well, is Paul just saying words? Does he really, you know, get what he's saying? Well, Paul was self-aware. Paul understood the gravity of what he was writing here. And he goes on in verse 7, he says, obviously, I'm not trying to win the approval of people. Because I can just tell you, you know, if you want to win friends and influence people, starting out with a curse is generally not a good idea. And he's saying that I get it. Obviously, I am not trying to win the approval of people, but of God. If pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. So, if you haven't read the book of Galatians, you're probably sitting here and saying, what is this, you know, grievous misrepresentation of the gospel? What's happening in, in Galatia? What, what's happening in this church? Are, are they saying that, that Christ was not the Messiah? Are they saying, you know, what the, the church in Corinth was doing? You know, sleeping with uh, temple prostitutes as a, as a form of worship? Are they adhering to kind of a, a money or a power gospel? What the heck is going on here that has got Paul so upset? Well, before we get to that, he has to give a little background. Now, you remember last week when Pastor Eric was talking about Paul's uh, conversion. He was Saul, and then, and then the gospel was revealed to him, and then he changed his name to Paul and uh, became a follower of Christ. Well, he picks up after that. He says, 14 years later, and this is in chapter 2, I went back to Jerusalem again, this time with his good buddy Barnabas. And Titus came along too. I went there because God revealed to me that I should go. 
While I was there, I met privately with those considered to be leaders in the church. Now, we're going to talk about this. In fact, a few times in this portion of his letter, he refers to people who are considered leaders of church or these guys are pillars of the church and and things like that. I need you to file that away because we're going to touch on this later. So he said, I went privately with those considered to be leaders of the church and shared with them the message I've been preaching to the Gentiles. I wanted to make sure that we were in agreement for fear that all my efforts have been wasted and I was running the race for nothing. And then here we go. We get a little glimpse, a little foreshadowing of what the big problem is in Galatia. And they supported me and did not even demand that my companion Titus be circumcised, though he was a Gentile. Er, what? I mean, this is a major left turn. Like, we're all thinking, you know, what, what's going on with the gospel? And then, you know, he just kind of throws in there, yeah, you know, I was telling them, hey, I'm preaching this gospel and everything, and my good buddy Barnabas and Titus was there. And when we were talking about it and having a good time and singing Kumbaya together and everything that they did at the first century church, they didn't even want Titus to, you know, demand that he gets circumcised, you know. And we're like, wait, okay, what's going on here? Well, he continues and says this. Even that question, the question of circumcision, came up only because, check out this language, some so-called Christians there, false ones really, who were secretly brought in. They sneaked in to spy on us and take away the freedom we have in Christ. They wanted to enslave us and force us to follow their Jewish regulations. But we refused to give in to them for a single moment. We wanted to preserve the truth of the gospel message for you. And here we have the big issue in the church of Galatian is this. There were some Christians who were known as Judaizers. And these were basically Christians who were previously Jews that said, you know what? We want the gospel. We want Jesus, but we need Jesus plus. You see, Paul writes uh, a lot about how, you know, the gospel is foolish, sounds like foolishness. I mean, it really does. I mean, you think about it, it's like, you're telling me that even though I turned my back on God and I followed my own selfish ambition and I was self-destructive to myself and self-destructive to others, that, you know what, God loved me so much that he wanted to pay that penalty for me and wanted to invite me and adopt me into his family. I mean, it sounds like, it sounds foolish. It sounds like, well, that's too easy, right? And this is what the Judaizers were saying. They're like, yeah, you know what? It is too easy. And it needs to be Jesus plus 
the law of Moses, the Mosaic law. And that means if you're a Gentile that, hey, guess what, buddy? You know, uh, you need to be circumcised. And, and Paul is here going like, whoa, 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 whoa. Wait a second. You are way off base here. And, and you know what? You are trying to enslave us back to the Mosaic law. You're trying to enslave us to the law and take us away from our freedom in Christ. And this is the biggest issue, is adherence to circumcision was a ploy by the Judaizers to promote submission to the Mosaic law. He continues on in verse 6. As the leaders of the church, here we go, the leaders thing again, and the leaders of the church had nothing to add to what I was preaching. And then in parentheses says, by the way, their reputation as great leaders makes no difference to me, for God has no favorites. Little side note. Instead, they saw that God had given me the responsibility of preaching the gospel to the Gentiles. These are people who just were not Jewish by birth. Just as they had given Peter the responsibility of preaching to the Jews. For the same God who worked through Peter as the apostle to the Jews also worked through me as the apostle to the Gentiles. In fact, James, Peter, and John, remember those guys? Okay. Who were known as pillars of the church. Here we go again, a little dig recognized the gift God had given me. They accepted Barnabas and me as their co-worker. They encouraged us to keep preaching to the Gentiles while they continued their work with the Jews. Their only suggestion was, they liked everything. They loved the gospel. They loved Titus. They're like, hey, you know, our Gentile buddy, come on. You know, it's cool. We, we love you. Everything's good. Their only suggestion was that we keep on helping the poor, which he also adds, which I was already eager to do. So whatever, right? And here becomes the big conflict. Here, here is, is the moment where, you know, the worlds start to collide. But when Peter came to Antioch, I had to oppose him to his face for what he did was very wrong. What the heck did Peter do? Like, what would Jesus, what would Jesus do? What the heck did Peter do, right? You know, you know Peter came to Antioch and, and, and Paul came and he had to oppose him to his face. He didn't, he didn't tweet about him. He didn't, you know, make a tablet with Peter like going, ah, or something like that, right? Then he went right up to Peter's face, Paul. I mean, you got to think about it. Who's Peter? Peter, Peter's this dude, I mean, ear chopping off Peter, you know, denying Peter, but also Peter is what? Jesus said, Peter, you are the rock. You are the rock that I'm going to build my church on. So you got Peter, who's like, you know, he's like kind of a big wig in the, in the first century church, you know? And then you got Paul, who wrote 
you know, eventually most of the New Testament and planted most of the New Testament first century churches. And you got these two guys head on head. Like, it makes me laugh when people are all like, we got to get back to the first century church, man. So beautiful. No, it wasn't. Most of the New Testament is about the problems that were going on. We have Peter and Paul, you know, Paul coming up to Peter's face and saying, dude, you got it wrong. So what, what did Peter do? What was the, the big kind of transgression that, that Peter did to the church uh, in Galatia? This is what he did. When he first arrived, he ate with the Gentile Christians who were not circumcised. Okay, so far so good, right? This is the way it's been. That, that you know, when Titus was there, they ate together, and it was, it was all cool. It was all kumbaya. Everybody was happy. So Peter comes, and he's like, hey, you know, what's up? You know, I'm not circumcised. Hey, I am. Hey, it's cool. You know, whatever. Let's eat. And, uh, but afterwards, when some friends of James came, Peter wouldn't eat with the Gentiles anymore. Relational no-no. He was afraid of criticism from these people who insisted on the necessity of circumcision. As a result, other Jewish Christians followed Peter's hypocrisy. Even Barnabas, remember good buddy Barnabas? Even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. Now, if you are a church leader, if you are a follower of Christ, somebody saying, especially writing in the Bible for everyone to read, that you are full of hypocrisy or you are a hypocrite or something like that, not good. This is, again, you know, the first part he's cursing and, and now he's, he's saying that Peter's full of hypocrisy. And basically when, what he's saying is you are, you are espousing virtues and beliefs that you really do not hold for because you want people to think better of you than you really are. And he's just calling them out. And this is a, is a real issue. Now, I hate to do this to you guys, but this is where we're going to end off. I mean, I almost feel like we need, you know, like when you watch soap operas? Well, you guys wouldn't watch a soap opera. But if you did, I, I, I've actually watched soap operas research. Um, that's, that's, I'm a full-service pastor. I, mean, I'm a, I, I watch this trash, so you don't have to. But, but it's like they're like, next week on Law of Grace. Will Peter punch Paul in the face? I don't know. You know, all this kind of stuff. So I'm kind of leaving you, you know, because we're going through the whole book of Galatians. So we're not going to be able to resolve, which is, which is fine. And, but I, I figure you guys are going to be like, what happens? You know, I got to come back next week. Never thinking you could actually open your Bible. But that's cool. You know, you just come back next week and I'll, I'll hook you up. Uh, but... But there are some things that, that we can take away uh, from today and uh, that I think are just really good uh, nuggets. The, the first one is 
The gospel does not need to be supplemented. The gospel just does not need to be supplemented. It is a complete and perfect expression of God's love. It just doesn't need a supplement. And it blows me away when people try to, to supplement the gospel. Because what they're saying is, Christ, you are, you are, your, your death was not enough. Your sacrifice was not enough that I, I have to supplement it with something else in order to gain God's approval. The next one, and I almost left this out because I knew that it, it would maybe ruffle some feathers, and, and, um, but I, want, I, I think it's valid. And at the very least, I think it'll promote conversation. Remember I asked you to kind of file away this, kind of his comments about so-called leaders and, and God doesn't have favorites and, and pillars of the church, how he's going. Remember I was talking about that? Well, I wrote this just in reference to that. The authority is in the gospel, not the gospel in the authority. What I mean by that is the authority happens out of Scripture. And that is what gives, like when I, when I speak, I, I speak not because of the authority of me, but I speak because I, have, I, I, I base my authority on the Word of God. I base my authority on Scripture. And what's happening here and what we're seeing here is it's getting backwards, you know, that Peter is putting his authority over the gospel. And he's saying, you guys need to be circumcised because the authority of the church. And that gets it backwards. Let me read this again. The authority is in the gospel, not the gospel in the authority. And then the last one, and I think that this one as far as a relational and community-wide uh, thing, and probably the most scary thing, is that hypocrisy is contagious. I, at our church, element three, we're based, our base three elements are three things, right? It's faith, faith in Jesus Christ, authenticity, a real place for real people, place that we can exist in and in emerging culture. You know, uh, speaking in not asking people to leave the 21st century to investigate the claims of Christ, but authenticity is a big thing. Why? Because we've all experienced organizations and churches that that celebrate facades. Right? Have you ever experienced that? That that you know they they celebrate hypocrisy. And what happens when hypocrisy sneaks in and then somebody gets accolades because of their hypocrisy? That somebody else, in this case Barnabas, is all like, hey, yeah, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put up this facade. I don't really feel like this, but I, I feel like my culture and my community praises me for this facade, so I'm going to put it up. And what happens is that you end up looking at a bunch of facades, a bunch of happy, shiny people on the outside when we're broken and hurting on the inside. And that, that's one reason why we, 
you know, we relentlessly pursue this, this idea of being a real place for real people where, you know what, if you feel lousy, if you have questions, if you're like, you know what, this gospel thing sounds like foolishness, well, great. Let's have a conversation about that. So those are the three things that I kind of took away from this portion of Scripture. The gospel does not need to be supplemented. It is a complete and perfect expression of God's love. The authority is in the gospel, not the gospel and authority. And hypocrisy is contagious. You guys pray with me? Dear God, I just uh, thank you for this time together. I thank you for this very candid letter that Paul wrote. And just really the openness of, of the conflict between him and Peter and how hurt he was by Peter's betrayal. Um, God, I think so often that we romanticize the first century church and, and think, oh, you know, our church is so messed up. If we could only be like the first century church. And we just see that, man, there's always relational conflict, that there's always this, this pull to supplement the gospel and, and others, you know, uh, clinging to grace and, and the conflict that comes along with that. God, let us be a place that grabs hold on to grace and we don't let go, that we do not celebrate facades, that we always pull our authority from your scripture, and that we, that we just marvel at your good news as a perfect and complete expression of your love. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.